0: Just happy, happy reunions in here because my next guest daughter's an old mate of mine from the press gallery and she's a superstar. And now everyone's going to go, well who's that then? <laughs> Our guest has been cooking for others for 60 years and says she still loves it. Tina Duncan's a cook, caterer, cooking school tutor and now author of a new book, Plated, a Lifetime Love Affair with Food. Born and bred on a Canterbury farm, Tina began cooking as a child, helping feed the family of... Uh, of, of how many were there? Eight. Six. Yeah, well. Eight. So I've got a typo here. So six kids. Six kids. By 10, she was cooking full roast dinners and dinner parties shortly thereafter. From a small, easy dinner to catering for thousands of weddings, she still loves cooking for others. And she's in the Wellington studio with me. Good morning.
1: Good morning, Catherine. So um, lovely to be with you.
0: We just got to get you in front of a microphone. There you go. Just roll there. That's better. Um, I just told you my worst fear, and how many thousand times have you heard this? People say, "Oh, I always get so nervous when I host a dinner party." And blah la Is that the common? Is, is it like a? Fear? I often joke about that because nobody asks me for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I have chefs and cooks who are friends, and they come for dinner sometimes. And I always go, "You're not allowed to take over." And they said. Well, one said last time, I'm not going to. In fact, I want a foot massage while I'm there. So, fair enough, fair enough. Um, so, <laughs> I would ask you to dinner. We, many people, fear. They fear making mistakes. They fear the coordination of it, the volume of it. What do we so often get wrong in getting worked up for something that's meant to be fun and relaxing and entertaining? I think very often they they try and try too hard. You
1: know, so instead of just finding something, my whole story, with (laughs) my whole story in the book really is about what you can do in advance. So every recipe has, has, you can do this the day before, you can do it three days before. I want to be having fun when I have people for dinner. I do not want to be slaving in the kitchen. But I do always make a little note that says, put the potatoes in the oven. They're usually re it's a, a reheating thing. Pop them in the oven at 7.15 or just because sometimes you're having so much fun, you kind of lose track of the time, you know.
0: The reason I did that with my face was I've got four words for you. Al Brown's power ravioli. And people, don't try that for the first time when you're hosting people for dinner. <laughs> and by the way, don't egg both sides because then it slides right out of your hands. Um, and that's very fancy. And potion, that's the mistake, you know. Absolutely. Sometimes, um, wonderful to try that sometimes, especially if someone brings you a load of power and you can get some... Nice little, um, what's that little tissue stuff you can use at the from the um, from the supermarket instead of making your own ravioli? There's lots of little tricks, but we get too ambitious, and often we try things for the first time too. Yes, yes.
1: So that's why I love to be completely prepared. So if you're coming to my place for dinner, by midday I'm done, you know, and I've probably got a dessert in the freezer, for starters, because that's probably done a week prior. There's a wonderful Christmas recipe in the book that you could do now, a turkey tenderloin roll, which you could do now, pop it in the freezer, and roll it in its oven bag, you bring it out on Christmas Eve, you pop it in the oven on Christmas morning, it's 30 minutes. What
0: you know? are the last-minute things you do have to do to bring things together uh, and keep things hot is another thing? Because in commercial kitchens, you've got all those lights sitting there to keep meals hot. What are are some of the things that you probably will have to do last minute and think about?
1: Well, for example, I I always blanch my greens in advance. So if you're coming for dinner, in the morning I might do the asparagus or the Brussels sprouts or whatever my greens are. Always blanched in very, very, very salty water and then for a couple of minutes till I tender, and then... Um, put into ice cold water sets the chlorophyll so they're lovely and green and then at night time there's two ways, you can either plunge them back into boiling water very quickly or you can pop them on an oven tray, drizzle olive oil into a hot oven
0: Brilliant, or sesame, um, or someone you something recently. like that. You just said something really important when you are cooking things in advance, which is plunge them into cold water to stop them cooking. And again, I don't want to sound like I'm in constant receipt of seafood, but very kindly, sometimes I am. Um, I remember with the the the, the cooking of crayfish get it out and plunge it into icy cold water. You want to stop it cooking. And is that a mistake we can make sometimes when we prepare things in advance? We just leave them cooking longer than, than the should? The only thing that
1: you really want to leave cooking is meat. And I always say use a, th- a thermometer uh, to get it to a certain um, um, temperature and then you cover it in tinfoil and tea towels and just let it carry on cooking because you take it out before it reaches its point for example a beef I would take out a fillet of beef I would take out at about 48 if I was wanting it medium rare and then I'd cover it in tinfoil and tea towels and just let it quietly for half an hour and by the time it comes to sort of 52 54 it's perfect Perfectly you know and done. It's not Rather bleeding than going everywhere and, exactly yeah, because
0: yeah. that's the resting and we know the importance of resting, resting is really important but you want to start resting before it's perfectly cooked yes. okay yes. Uh, I have more questions before you talk about your book. Um, the other thing that happens is when you're going from cooking for a small number of people to more people, and you have to organise your oven and organise how long, say, ten lamb racks take compared to four. Is this something else you have to think about if you're increasing the numbers you're cooking for? No,
1: not not always. Um, I'm so used to cooking 250 steaks for somebody now. For example, I'll be doing that the day before. If we're doing a wedding in a paddock on a Saturday, on Friday I've cooked all the meat partially cooked it and it's chilled and then I'm taking it and then just reheating it so all of those things can be done in advance, in advance. you know you can sear off your steaks mm-hmm. and then have them in the chiller take them out and the, the, bring them up to room temperature into a really hot oven and just bring it up to eating point however you want that to be whether you want it rare medium rare or whatever
0: this love of food and uh, sharing food and care and cooking for others, it's a common trait amongst almost all chefs, I find. We always think they're the foodies, but we're the foodies, the ones who just sit there waiting at the table, <laughs> waiting for it to land they're the ones passionately getting things right for others to enjoy and was that your experience of food because you started so young right did you always love that sharing or what always
1: loved it and my mother was an extraordinary cook and you know you you grow up in a family and you don't know how wonderful your mother was until you sort of go to other places you know and realize that not everybody was eating what you were eating at home and we grew up on a farm we ate you know beautiful meat, we had the most extraordinary vegetable garden that my father grew, um, and she was really happy to teach me i you know that was kind of my place. I just found my place in the kitchen with her, and she was wonderful. Where was were wonderful you in the kitchen. family?
0: I was number three. Now, that's interesting because the middle often says I'm left out, you know.
1: Well, I think, um, she, I think maybe she was... patted me on the head at, at some stage and said, well done, Tina. And I thought, this is where I need to be because I'm and, getting noticed. And it's your,
0: it's your moment to get in and get next to your mum. And what were you capable of? I mean, what are um, young children capable of from quite a young age in terms of helping out? She used to say I was making perfect scones at the age of seven.
1: And I, I loved that. I used to make the school lunches every day. I hated that. <laughs> Why did you hate the school lunches? Oh, because I just thought a boring sandwich, you mm. know, it just never appealed to me. What was in them, by the way? Oh, well, mum used, used to say you should put walnuts and dates and things like that, which had no appeal to me then at all. But, you know, I suppose there was a lot of marmite and lettuce and tomato and cold meat. You know, there was always mm. cold
0: meat on the farm. Mm. So with making the perfect scones, were you always someone who was precise, precise with instructions, do you think? No, not really. It was all about how to handle them and, you know, keeping it light. You had small fingers, I remember reading. Did, did you at the time? No, well, when you were a Well, when I was kid. little because,
1: yes. yes, she used to make me put all the fruit in the bottles when we were preserving fruit because my hand went in the top right? <laughs> very easily. And she was very fussy about not having a blemish on, the, on an apricot skin showing, you know, on the outside of the bottle so that when they were on the shelf they all looked beautiful.
0: So how did this, um, over time as, as you grew up and life choices um, became, um, you know, uh, life choices, what kept you in food and, and what's been the life uh, in food?
1: When I left school I became a dental nurse for goodness sake and, and I loved that as well but I, I didn't stay, stay at it for very long I went overseas so what you did when you were doing your OE the easiest thing to do was to sort of slot into a restaurant somewhere and that's what I did when I got to London I went with my sister and we um, I worked in a restaurant and then I th- just carried on with that pattern and and then you realise that everybody wants you know if, you, if they know you love food they want you to do the food they want you to look after them they want you to cook for them it's just my love language, Catherine, really, you know. And so when you came home? When I came home, um, we bought a service station in the North Island, and then, um, but I was always having dinner parties, always having dinner parties. And then eventually when we moved south, I worked in a cafe because we were farming and no, farmers weren't making money in those days. So I worked in a local cafe and did catering. And then I kind of got sucked into a catering company in Christchurch and in the end bought it.
0: There's a real entrepreneurial streak through all of this yeah. alongside everything else. But with four daughters, and they all worked for us, you know,
1: that was amazing because we had instant staff. Well, this was the intergenerational young. thing, Absolutely.
0: Really, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: yeah,
0: And it's a farm thing too. You're here, you work. Yes. You eat, you yeah. work.
1: <laughs> and, they, and they've got
0: extraordinary work ethic. And yeah, I, yeah, you yeah.
1: Know, I, I, I applaud them for that. Well, that daughter that, didn't we, have that we're talking
0: about, um, who was a former colleague of mine, got her own food business running. Well, account. she she bought my business. Wow. Well, yeah. She ever said she always said she would never do that, but she got sucked in. Yeah, <laughs> we all get sucked in by food. So the catering business as that developed, who would um, you know? Who would want your services? As we said, it might be quite intimate events, right up to hundreds.
1: Thousands. We've done thousands. How nice you know? you do Um this? It's just being prepared, it's just being organised, it's just um, having a plan, it's just having lots of staff. Um, I, I, I have to tell you the story because one night we did a, a huge dinner in, um, in Christchurch in Hagley Park, and there were 11 cabinet ministers there and the prime minister. And I remember the, my head chef t- turning to me and saying, Tina, we could bring the country to its knees tonight.
0: <laughs> it's like Susie at the World Cup, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> the non-existent Susie. Uh, so no pressure then. No pressure. I mean, that is—it's it's, it's something else that I find stressful. Again, when you are—you know—you want to check people's allergies and you want to make sure you're not serving undercooked seafood. And of seafood course, that's a
1: growing—that's a growing, that's a growing yeah, issue, the allergies yeah.
0: thing. Yeah. But you know, you're part of people's special occasions, and that's wonderful. So you get kind of hooked
1: up. You get caught up into that. Yeah. You know, and it. It's almost like your own party.
0: How do you rescue? You probably don't have this happen because you're so well organised. You've got your lists and and you've got your plans and you've pre-prepared. So I'm learning as we go. But how do you rescue something that is going off the rails? I always have this moment where either I go and order Thai takeaways now or it's too late. (laughs) Um, And there must be, especially catering for big events, seriously, moments where you've got to... Rescue, what's, what's gone wrong?
1: Oh, do you know what? I can't even think, think of a of single one. time where we've really had to – it's really been an issue, mm. to be honest, yeah. which, which sounds crazy. But, um, you know, I've, that, I've, there's, is, a, there's a terrible story in there about a, cris- a wedding cake, but um,
0: What happened with I the think, wedding cake? Oh, come forgot. on, we've got to have a failure. We have to, for me. Oh,
1: well, I mean, I forgot this wedding cake, and it was a big deal, this wedding cake, because I'd had three meetings about it, and it was supposed to be me making it. And there was a red carpet down the middle of the Great Hall in Christchurch with the cake at the end. Um, And I hadn't made it. At 10 o'clock in the morning, I realised it had to be in place at 2. So I bought in some cakes because I I knew someone where I could grab some chocolate cake and some carrot cake because that's what it was, and banana cake. I ended up icing the cake at the bottom. It was the wrong size. So I iced the 10-inch cake, and then I put a 12-inch cake tin over the top of it and iced the tin and then sort of carried on layering up the cake. I'm trying to keep this brief. And, saying, and said to the supervisor that day, you make sure when the bride and groom cut the cake, they go into the, the middle, middle. Blade, not into the tin.
0: <laughs> but I did it. I pulled it off. You, you know? do. You do. Yeah. What are some, what's sort of changed, actually? Because our tastes have changed. I've just landed on the slow-cooked aromatic lamb, which anyone who knows me is right up my alley. I, just, I, I love the Mediterranean influence that's come in. I mean, there's so many influences that yes, have come are. in over the years there you've are. been cooking, and all of them have been a joy. And, and you know... Um, Sort of many of the um, many who grew up in the sort of the 60s and 70s with the meat and three veg have had their worlds opened up to spices and herbs yes. and, and, and aromatics and all sorts of things. Um, but you know, what are some of the big shifts you've seen over your course, uh, your, your life and food? that you really celebrate or that really sort of changed the way you cooked? Well, I think, you know,
1: to give Peter Gordon his credit, like he started some of that, you know, like he created this whole fusion cooking thing where we were bringing in, um, starting to eat spices and flavours that we'd never eaten before, you know. like I, Growing up, I'd never eaten chilli in my life, you know. Went to London and the first thing that my flatmate made was a chilli omelette. I'll never forget that. Um, uh, the flavours, you know, everyone loves the Thai, and the, uh, I kind of love the Turkish. I love the, you know, the fervent crescent, you know, uh, around the top of um, that part of the, that part of the Middle East, you know, the
0: cinnamons and the cardamoms, and you know, all those beautiful flavours. You know. it just it adds. You know, it yeah. just adds so much to what can yeah. be the simplest meal. You've also met and brought along, um, invited um, some of the big, gigantic names. I know people compare you to the beloved Australian Maggie Beer. She's become a. She's become a friend, which is wonderful,
1: absolutely wonderful. And she did the foreword in that book,
0: which is great. Who are some of the others that, you know, for you as a non-professionally trained cook, but one so prolific and capable? So many of
1: us who have really done well in the industry are untrained. You know, even Thomas Keller, who I adore, you know, from the French Laundry in Napa Valley, um, he's just self-taught. You know, Stephanie Alexander, who's had the most incredible impact on food in Australia. You know, some of the great chefs of Australia have all started under her you know, working in her kitchens, um, I don't know, it's just, we're all the same, we're all just, we just love food, and you realise there are celebrities, and you have them on a pedestal, then you meet them, and they're not, you know, they're just the
0: same as you and me. But they are organised, and are they organized. are focused, yeah. and they are disciplined, yeah. and they prepare. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Is it a joy to have your kids follow and your, follow your oh footsteps Oh my God, you've got
1: no idea what a joy it is. You know, I cry about that often. <laughs> And sitting around the table with them, I mean, that is just just one of the highlights for me, you know, to be able to cook and share. And I don't think I was a particularly good teacher, which sounds ridiculous because I run a cooking school, but not with the children. I think it was quicker for me, easier for me to do it myself because I was really busy. But they're all very good cooks, and they say they've learnt by osmosis. I gave them all a Stephanie Alexander Cook's companion. <laughs> like
0: the Coles notes, <laughs> is it? And, um, and the cooking schools, who comes Typically, does that change over time too? Oh, I've got quite a following in Christchurch. You know,
1: I've got I've got four girls particularly who've been to every class that I've done in the last twenty five years. Every single class, unbelievable. I hope they get discounted <laughs> <these classes. laughs> No, but um, people just love to learn. To I think people more and more are l- wanting to learn how to cook at home, and a lot of them are time poor. And I think that's one of the things about this book. I mean, there is a a recipe in there that takes three days. But there's also a recipe that takes 20 minutes. So there is something for everybody. I think that's what makes me feel proud about the book, What made you
0: pick what was in here? What determined it? Well,
1: that's really interesting because I just opened my computer and there's thousands and thousands of recipes. But I wanted it to be my life, you know, not just my catering life. So, you know, there's things there from my my grandmother, my grandmother's brawn recipe, because I adore brawn. I adore some of those. Well, it's made from a pig's head, you know, um, it's got my mother's shortbread, it's got cinnamon oysters that my mother always made, you know, so there's, there's lots of lovely things
0: from my childhood as well as
1: things moving in through my years in catering. We
0: don't have that anymore, the handwritten recipe with all the scribbles and with the flour crusted on the page and whatever because we do everything online these days. We need more Yes and handy. my father
1: used to go through and write a little note in the corner like we won't have this again or oh, or Jesus. lovely or you know which was uh, which has become a treasure you know that book is a treasure. Which I used to say to again. my mother when you die I don't want anything except your recipe books you know
0: Thank you <laughs> Tina Duncan Plated a Lifetime Love Affair with Food who published it for you?
1: I Self published. Oh did you? Camber Downs that, that's that me
0: the, the, (laughs) Thank you very much and thanks for coming in.